And cue music. Welcome to episode 25 of A-Sides. This is Andy. I hope everyone is uh, staying healthy out there. And uh, thanks for listening uh, to this show as I'm going weekly. And um, I guess we're alternating now between interviews and album reviews with Brent. Right now, this is me going solo, and I've got a special guest. He's the owner of Co-op Records in Central Illinois, uh, while he also writes, produces, and performs in The Great Affairs from Nashville. And he's also uh, moonlighting as my musical sensei. And he's a motivational speaker as well that we learned when he was on the program before. He's uh, Denny Smith. Um, hey, how are you doing up, man? tonight, man? I'm good. I got my stimulus check today, so I'm I'm feeling pretty fine. I went out and did some grocery shopping. Oh shit! I'm still waiting on mine, so <laughs> we well, might want to check. Yeah, I, I had to go online and do the little direct deposit thing because I I haven't gotten a tax return in years. I've always had to pay in, so I don't think they have my information. But I, I went on there and. Filled out the little thing, and about a week and a half later, it popped up in my account. So, yeah, that's the only income I've had since the 20th of March, so it was nice to see it show up on my balance. Shit. Yeah, well then, I guess because I've been getting the uh, checks, I guess when I do taxes, I just get the check. So, um, otherwise, unless I do what you're doing, I'm going to be waiting a while longer. Yeah, the unfortunate part about being a business owner is that I, you know, I have to do quarterly estimated taxes that i pay in every quarter that just sit there and wait for my tax return i hardly ever get uh an actual refund i don't i can't tell you the last time i saw a proper refund just because i've got so much they have to work my the store's income and my band my music related income and anything i got from publishing or placements that's all got to go into it's a it's a mess i have to pay somebody to do it every year because if i did it myself i'd I'd be audited every single time. I have no idea how to stay ahead of that stuff. So, no, I have not seen a – I haven't gotten a check from the IRS since I was probably in my, I don't know, early 30s. It's been a while. Which, that, and that was a long time ago for the for those unaware. No shit. Uh, well, um, speaking of that, your um, business, that's actually what I wanted to uh, talk to you about tonight is uh, your history with co-op. Yeah, it's a long one. Um, well, good. Then um, do you want to go um, down that um, rabbit yeah, hole? Sure, I don't want to keep I, it too long. But. No, no. We can, I, can, I can try and condense it. It's, it's really not – It's there's only a couple stages of it, really. I, when I, I first worked for the chain in the 90s, um, I worked at the Evergreen Square store, the one that was over by – well, I guess it's not there anymore either. There was a Venture and a, later uh, there's Best Buy in that plaza over there um, on Lake Street in Peoria. I worked there, and then I worked. I actually spent more time probably at the Campus Town store, which is also no longer there. I don't even know there is. There's not really a Peoria Co-op Records anymore. It's just the Co-op shop thing or whatever. But um, we had, you know, there were two locations there, and then there's East Peoria and uh, Galesburg and Rock. There were there were you know a dozen or more of them back then. Um, a lot of them in the Quad Cities and Iowa and stuff. But uh, I started working at the Peoria one and kind of weaseled my way up to assistant manager under Bob Long. And he would kind of shuffle me back and forth wherever I was needed. And I was there for a few years. And I also worked at Pizza Hut, too. Man. I, I, and I played a band, and I was, you know, I was hustling, you know, uh, just trying to keep my financial head above water back then. But uh, eventually, I don't know how it came to be that I opened my own. I just decided, you know, Pekin looked like it was pretty ripe for the picking. And... Uh, I guess I was right because, uh, with the exception of the last two months, uh, we've had 22 years of, of great business over there. And I eventually bought a couple other ones too. I had one in Bloomington Normal briefly that I bought from a guy that was really struggling to keep it afloat. And turns out I wasn't much better at it than he was. And I had the one in Galesburg for a while. I sold that one off to help uh, absorb the the brutal blow of that Bloomington Normal store. But um, but Pekin's still going strong, you know. It's uh, it's our twenty second year, and 
it's been great. I mean, it's a great job. I mean, I'm not really there. I live in Nashville, so I haven't actually worked, you know, more than a week in that shop since 2003, other than at Christmas. And I miss it, man. It was it was great. I had so many great friends and people I met just from showing up there six days a week, you know? Was it kind of like the Clerks movies? I kind of imagine it almost being, I guess, like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's every... And if you talk to, I mean, anybody, you've worked retail, so you know there's like, there are a handful of recurring characters, not necessarily the exact same person, but people that fill those roles. Clerks, when I, the first time I saw it, I was just telling somebody this yesterday, the first time I saw that, I was like, wow, that's so weird, because I know that guy and that guy. And they, and some of them, you have a handful of them, you know, customer interactions that are so remarkable these people end up with their own nicknames and stuff and they you know they become part of the folklore of the location but and i still tell stories from all the way back working at campus town in in evergreen square of you know crazy recurring customers that that we had pekin has its share too and i'll tell you what i'm you know pekin has you know back in the day we didn't have video cameras but pekin has video cameras and some of the stuff that showed up on those security cameras is hilarious i mean it, it it's too bad they don't have audio they don't they're just video but man uh yeah you can't you just can't make that stuff up so yeah this it is very much like that it, it doesn't uh, i'm sure it overlaps into every you know retail environment but the store is so free-spirited and not you know it's a record store so it's, people kind of feel free to do whatever they want in there and do frequently do whatever they want in there so it's a uh, yeah, it's an adventure. I learned a lot from Bob Long as to how to uh, to wrangle certain people, and then there are some people who just can't be wrangled. But um, yeah, I, I I do miss it. I miss being in there every day. Oh, it's like what like weird stuff happens on video? Is that stuff in the back room or just out in the open? Or no, well, the we had this we had a, a loop made. Uh, it was we had one little folder that was just people for a while there when you came in the store we had a, we had a, the walled off like the uh, the smoking section was walled off it had its own little area where the, all the tobacco accessories and stuff are and uh, <laughs> tobacco anyway uh, and then around that was we had built this grid wall frame and we walled it in and it had you know it was covered in whatever had incense on one wall and but one of those walls on that the that kind of enclosed this thing had subway posters on it the big tall subway posters that you could flip through and for whatever reason every you know certain number of customers that came in thought that that front whatever the front poster was was the curtain to enter that room (laughs) and they would pull it back and then not look and just go barrel right into the wall and smash so we had a whole reel of people just running face first into that wall to where it got to be like I mean, this might be a safety issue of some kind, but there's no, I don't know, you know, it, sometimes it was like a Pink Floyd poster or a Grateful Dead poster, which those I could kind of see where that might look like it was a tapestry or something you're supposed to pull back. But other times it'd be like a Coldplay poster or something, you know, or Marilyn Manson. And <laughs> people would just plant their face right into that wall. And, and some few posters got destroyed in the process, but you know, it was still fun to go back and watch. I, and I feel bad for anybody that did that and is now realizing that they're on film. But um, yeah, it was it was good stuff. Or like if it was Pink Floyd, the wall, and they think it was actual brick or something there. Yeah. Well, it seemed like I mean, it wasn't like it. It was we made the door uh, tricky to to locate. It was right next to this poster thing. It was if they had just made maybe two more strides in the in the forward you know, direction, they would have seen this immediately there to their right. But And it had a little dwarf, like, it even was denoted by these two little walls that came out. <laughs> Still people <laughs> periodically slammed into that thing. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And there's so much that, I, there's so many crazy stories, a lot of which I, I, I prefer to keep to myself because they're just, you know, but it, it, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of wacky stuff has happened in that store. You know, we've been in three different locations too, so there's stories that are unique to each one of those buildings we've been in, but um, there's, we had more than a, when we were first opening it up, none of us were really, we'd all worked in record stores before, so we kind of had an idea of what we were getting ourselves into, but 
I wasn't from Pekin, so I had to meet all these people for the first time. And whereas Brandon, you know, he knew people, so he kind of knew what to expect. But there were some characters, man, and there's still characters. There, some of those people still shop there 22 years later, and I love them. They're they're great. But I had to get to know some of the some of the regulars because I was not quite prepared. But Peoria was the same thing, you know. Those locations were so back then too. Record stores were like in full swing. And the CD was at the top of its game, and we were slammed. Like, you know, we would do these midnight sales and have, you know, lines down the block, people wanting to get in and get the new, you know, the Metallica box set or something. So it's things have changed a lot, obviously, over the years. It's not quite as, you know, frantic as it was back then. And it's, you know, the focus has changed, but, you know, it's still the same people, man. I mean, people are the same everywhere, really, but. There's always that one little handful of unique characters that, you know, there wouldn't be much to talk about if you didn't have those people around. And we got an abundance of them over there for sure. You had mentioned one thing that I wanted to talk about, like the uh, midnight releases. I was actually too young, I guess, growing up in the 90s because I'd always hear about those advertisements on like Rock 106. And I thought it was awesome, like, because I think, yeah, like, it sounds so long ago even saying this, but like records now are Friday releases. They used to be Tuesday, but then, yeah, like the big thing back then was the uh, midnight on Monday. And uh, yep. I'd always hear about that on the radio. I thought it was so cool. But then finally, by the time I, I guess I was old enough to like drive and like stay out later, they didn't have that anymore. Because I think maybe the, uh, the first uh, time I bought a record the day it came out was uh, actually not a record. It was CD. It was Rob Zombie's second album. So don't laugh at that. Uh, I'm, I have it. <laughs> I think it was like I the, own it. Was that the Sinister uh, Urge? Urge, yeah. Uh, but um, I do remember like uh, being real hyped up for that. But like, do you have any that stand out to you of those midnight uh, releases? I mean, we yeah, we we did the the biggest one I ever worked by far was that what that Metallica box set because if I'm not mistaken. It was Metallica, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, and uh, the Spaghetti Incident all came out at the same time. And that Snoop album had been delayed like for months. It kept people kept, oh yeah, my brother's got it in St. Louis. Like no, he doesn't, man. It's not out. And uh, but there was a ton of hype around it. So you had that. Then you had this, you know, at the time mega expensive hundred dollar Metallica box set thing that we had pallets of. They delivered pallets of that to us. Oh shit. And then um. And that spaghetti incident, you know, which I don't know how you feel about that album. I personally have never owned it, didn't really care for it. But we sold a ton of them. And we had to hire, you know, we had to have off-duty cops come work security at Campus Town because there were so many. I mean, it was wrapped around that building out there at, you know, at midnight. And it was, you know, it was pretty crazy. That, that was by far the, the most money I think we ever did. You know, as far as just the just the sheer volume of, of units moved, but a lot of them were huge, you know, and it went on for a long, a long time. I mean, Walmart kind of killed it, you know, a little bit. There would be times when we'd find out that, uh, Walt, like, I remember Pink Floyd's Pulse came out and Walmart had it out like a day early or something. And shit hit the fan, man. Like, it was a big deal. People were calling in. The distributors said, hey, they're selling stuff. Because back then, man, if you violated street date, they could really bring the hammer down on you. They could cut your distribution and stuff. Nobody's going to mess with Walmart, obviously, but it was a big deal to to put stuff out early, which you know we did sometimes. Because and after a while, it just stopped. People stopped caring because the you know with the digital revolution and everything streaming or being downloadable, people were getting their mitts on it a week ahead of time or or worse, you know. And it kind of stopped having the novelty value. Nobody really, you know, people that wanted to have their hard copy in hand still showed up and bought it but the you know the mystery of being the first one to get your hands on it was it just got ruined that, that whole element of the game was lost and i, I kind of missed that a little bit but and then we had some promotions too that were sometimes those things were a madhouse and <laughs> they were they were regrettable you know because they're just like this is such a, a mess and sometimes people didn't really always behave so well but usually they were they were great and everybody was super cool and you know that those were good those were good days man I mean say what you want about CD versus vinyl or or whatever your format is that you 
you know, won a champion. Um, back then when that stuff was selling, you know, artists were making money, the labels were making money. Everybody was pretty happy. You know, our margins always kind of sucked on new product. We never, that's something people don't realize, I don't think, is that the stores don't really, we never really made that much on, even when they were super expensive because, you know, as soon as Best Buy and stuff came in and started selling CDs for, you know, first it was thirteen ninety nine, then eleven ninety nine. Once they drove it down and there was no margin left to be made, CDs just were just there so that people would come in and look at other stuff. You know, they they certainly weren't. Uh, that wasn't what was keeping our lights on. That's for sure. Yeah, because it seems like too. Like even by the time I think I was getting that uh, Rob Zombie one, that was like two thousand one. I think by then, I think Best Buy was. Oh, even having like bonus tracks and stuff. So yeah, they got the money to yeah yeah pump that. Yeah, out. they started doing that stuff too. Target did it, and which I don't, you know, I don't. It, I guess I could if it was. I mean, it's a cool thing for the fans. You know, I, I love buying records that have extra stuff on, especially if it's not just crap. You know, that they just you know an acoustic version of something or whatever. But you know, I, that's a, a great value add. And it used to be years ago before. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've got a few of these. I, I know I do in my collection, but before the targets and Best Buy exclusives and Circuit City and whatever it was at the time doing it, you always had to get the Japanese import. I always bought the Japanese, you know, Bon Jovi record or whatever, because it had two extra songs that you couldn't get in the U.S. And then even the European CD singles, you know, I remember when the Black Crows By Your Side record came out, it was, for whatever reason, it was delayed to market. They, the, you know, Stop Kicking My Heart Around was a huge radio hit at the time. And I don't know if Columbia just dropped the ball entirely on getting that thing out, but we probably sold 40 copies, 50 copies of the CD single from Europe of that. And not only did you get the song way before the record came out, but you got uh, unreleased tracks too that were good. They were really good songs. You know, and a lot of the bands were putting stuff out in Japan and Europe and stuff. They That's what the European market dictated. They, they wanted something extra, you know, uh, I guess because they had to pay, I don't know if people had to pay import tax on that stuff or what, so they wanted to give them a, you know, throw them a bone. But man, I bought tons of CD singles and Japanese pressings and stuff just to get, you know, I paid, spend $28, $29 on a CD to get one extra song that now you just go and, oh, the bonus track, I'll just find that online somewhere. I'll just, you know, I'll get it on my Apple Music thing or, you know, there's a million ways or it's on YouTube so you can hear it. Half the times the songs sucked anyway, but sometimes they're really good, man. They were, better songs than what they put on the u.s pressing so they're well worth tracking down maybe not for 30 bucks but you just reminded me of something like how i said you're like my musical sensei i was asking you about enough is enough and you're like yeah like make sure you get the japanese version of animals <laughs> with human intelligence because it's got fingertips like the extra yeah a song on there so yeah yeah then that's that their prime example man i mean i didn't i remember i had moved in night, I guess this would have been ninety four, ninety five. I had moved to Nashville the first time I lived in Nashville, and I came back, uh, and I went to the Evergreen Square co op. And I didn't. This is a, this true story is ridiculous. I didn't. I was really late to buying a CD player. You know, I was a broke musician, and I spent money on, you know, pointy headstock guitars. I didn't spend money on anything else except for that and food, basically. And uh, so, I. Uh, I remember coming back, I think, I want to say it was Thanksgiving or something, and I went into the Evergreen Square store on like a Sunday, maybe. And I can't even remember who was working, but I found Enough's Enough tweaked and Chip and Donnie's Brothers record, which apparently both were released like almost at the exact same time on CD, and they were, they were Japanese pressings. And, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know they had a new album out because it didn't come out in America for months after that. And I remember... I didn't really have a lot of money on me, but I, I bought both of those, and I bought, there's a band called Gun, I think they're Scottish, maybe. Anyway, I bought their album, Swagger, again, because it didn't come out in America, and I was like, I didn't even know they had a new album, uh, and paid, you know, whatever the premium rate was with my former employee discount thing, and walked out of there with all three of those, and then had no way to listen to them. Had a cassette deck in my my van at the time. And I remember having to have somebody tape them off for me, like burn them, you know, burn them, 
record them off of the CDs onto cassettes so I could listen. I still have those cassettes somewhere. I just wore those things out. But yeah, I mean, and then I always, even after the stuff would come out domestically, I bet I've got three different versions of that Enough's Enough tweaked record. And I've got at least two different versions of Animals with Human Intelligence because I'm a dork fan that, you know, had to have every single iteration of those tracks. But yeah, I missed that too. I ended up being obsessed with that too with some bands I was getting into. Like I was like, oh shit, this Deftones one has like an extra track or something. But then like a few years later, they came out with the B-Sides collection. So I was like, oh shit, I ended up spending like a whole bunch more money than I needed to. Well, there's some bands that's really hard to track that stuff down. Like I'm a huge Delamitri fan. And every time I think I finally got all of their B-Sides, I read about another one or I find another one because they recorded so much material over the years. And they would do the same thing. They'd put out singles with, you know, alternate track on the flip. And then they would do, you know, and it was different for every territory. Maybe in Australia it came out with these two songs on it. And in Japan it came out with these two songs on it. That gets expensive really quick trying to track that stuff down. And But I did it. If it was a band that I was really, really into, I did. And then, like you said, you know, 20 years later, they compile all that stuff and put it out. But... I mean, the Wild Hearts uh, were the kings of that because they recorded so much great material that, you know, they did. There's a box set, and even on that four disc box set, you still don't get all the stuff they put out. You know, there's still another 30 songs missing. You know, it's, it's nuts. How the, you know, the amount of the volume some of these bands can crank out, especially the. You know, if it's quality stuff, sometimes it's, you know, B-sides are B-sides for a reason. They're, you know, better left unheard. But, uh, and those guys, their B-sides collections were every bit as solid as their studio, their regular releases, you know? I guess I haven't gotten into them as much as you and uh, Brent have. So it's kind of outside of my uh, knowledge. They're, I mean, they're an acquired taste. It's, it's a, they're so, uh, it's so schizo, you know, they're, pop they're metal they're extreme metal and then they're i mean they're everything man those guys are everything and there's you know it's kind of like a you know metallica meets cheap trick kind of thing it's it's really hard to to pin them down into one thing that they do really well because they do everything you know they're a fantastic band but they've had you know a lot of lineup changes and they've made it difficult for their fans they they put out a record that was essentially you know, as overdriven and distorted as you could possibly make a bunch of pop songs and expect people to still pay attention and people still paid attention. And I bought that on cassette, CD and vinyl. So that, you know, I'm a chump for whatever they do, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's, it takes a minute. They're not, it's not, they're not the easiest sell. I think they're great, but, um, you know, I can see where it's, it's, you know, some people would have to be slowly converted, I guess. Well, that leads me to one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Like, if you have any, like, or you remember any kind of cool, like, promo material uh, for um, albums releases? Because I know there was that Enough is Enough sign that you and Bob have. Yeah, um, I've got that. That's actually, that's bootleg. That's, there was a guy that made, oh, really? uh, yeah, he made window stickers and shot glasses and, uh, basically anything you wanted a band's logo uh, printed on, he would make it. Um, if you had a toddler that you wanted to have a window sticker put on their forehead, he would probably show up and do it for 50 bucks. He didn't care. So um, that that was made by him. I think I got... He actually did stuff for my old band, too. He made shot glasses for Love Shine. It's really cool stuff. And then I think he got... You know, you mentioned the Deftones, and I want to say the Deftones might be the band that popped him for doing it. Oh, shit. <laughs> somebody, it was either the Deftones or Korn, but somebody got wind of it, and he got, they basically scared him enough to where he stopped making the stuff, and he went off and did something else. And I haven't heard from that guy in years and years, but yeah, there's, I've got, as far as like weird promo stuff and really memorable promo stuff, the labels used to be really uh, creative you know when it came to that i don't know what they do now i don't even know if they i mean my store doesn't even get we rarely get even promo posters sent to us but i've got a really cool uh bob actually gave it to me for christmas one year uh an enough enough strength box set that 
uh, as a, well, he got an autograph, but it has an autograph poster inside of it. Um, CD cassette, the video VHS video of mother's eyes. Um, I've got an animals with human intelligence, uh, a box of animal crackers. That's printed like the back cover of that. It's really cool. <laughs> oh, I remember that. It. It's, it's really, it's really swank, man. And then I've got like a, I remember I got a really cool, I'm still sitting here in my studio and Ozzy Osbourne, it's like Ozzy's hand. It's a, it's a little sculpting of Ozzy's hand that holds CDs. Um, it's like, well, it's bigger than life size. It looks like the Hulk's hand or something, but, um, I've got a really cool Prince Emancipation. I've got, I mean, there's tons of stuff. And I used to save some stuff, you know, we'd give away to customers. You weren't supposed to sell any of it. So we always tried to find the person that was, you know, most deserving and then we, we wait till nobody's paying attention and we would make sure they got it. But um, I kept a few things for myself. There's a few, like I've got a Beyonce standee in my basement just because I think it's cool looking. And uh, I we had a Beatles anthology stand up, life size cardboard cutout. I've still got that in a box. I had it up for a while and I was afraid it would get ruined. And I've got a Howard Stern private parts one that's about seven feet tall. Lots of stuff like that. I mean, Bob is the king of it. You've been to Bob's house, right? Yeah, I've been in that kiss room, and he actually showed me some of that stuff. He's just got, like, I think, like, uh, you know those popcorn tins you get for Christmas? Yeah, yeah. He's got those popcorn tins of stuff that's got backstage passes and just random picks. I think he was showing me stuff, and he's got dollar bills just in there. Like, he was hiding his money in those. But he, I, It does not surprise me in the least. It does he, showed, not me. he showed me something that was, like, uh, talking about how they kind of, like, uh, tailor-made uh, stuff for each artist. I think there's like a Snoop Dogg like dog bone or something in there. Yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't, remember, I don't think I ever had one of those. I did have. There were a lot of things that were really like really oddball things that you would have to like. I've got a a little tiny uh, miniature Louisville Slugger. You know the band Propane. Oh yeah, yeah. They were, they were like metal, like real aggro metal thing. But they had an album called The Truth Hurts, and I've got a I've got a little miniature Louisville Slugger here in my studio that has their logo and the truth hurts printed on. I've had that for years. I always forget some of the stuff. I just forget it's here. It's been here for so long. It's just kind of like become a fixture, but yeah, Bob has got like crazy stuff. And he's also like, you know, he collects all that. He's got just regular straight up memorabilia. It doesn't have to be promo stuff, but like, I remember one time, uh, Pat, you know, my guitar player, Pat, he's a huge Jakey Lee fan. And we go to Bob's house one night, this was, I think we both worked for co-op at the time and he pulls out and it's in this little Ziploc bag and opens it up and it's a, it looks like a sweat, like a, you know, wristband, like a sweatband kind of thing. And it was Jakey Lee's from the Ultimate Sin Show in Peoria. He'd taken it off and thrown it out. And I thought Pat was going to shit himself, man. Like <laughs> you would have thought it was Bob had opened, you know, it's the Holy Grail or something. He just wanted to kind of put it on. Can I try it on? Probably still smelled like Jake's sweat. But, uh, I mean, Bob's got just weird stuff like that. And I was like, how did you even acquire this? What was the chain of events that led to you having this thing? You know, he's who knows what he's got in there. I've just seen some crazy stuff. So, yeah, I don't have anything quite. You know, I've got a few things that I've gotten from people that are close to certain bands and stuff that are, that are, you know, not one of a kind, but really close to one of a kind. That kind of stuff is cool, but... You know, most of my stuff is pretty run of the mill. I don't, you know, I don't have anything too terribly rare, but Bob is a, he's an enigma when it comes to that stuff. He doesn't throw anything out. Yeah, because he had something that was cool that he showed me or he pointed it out on the shelf. It was like an Alice Cooper uh, trash can from the Trash album. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that too. Were you working at the store at that time? Like, no, cause... no. I, that was before I worked there. That, was, that would have predated me by a few years, three or four years probably, but. In fact, I think when I started there, I want to say that, um, what was the album that, the Cooper album that had the comic books with it? Oh, Lost the, in America. Uh, what is home? that? The Last Temptation. Is that it? Okay. Well, that was the one. Was Lost in America the single off of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been the time I started, because I remember, I remember stocking that. So, yeah, you know, I was well after Trash and Hey Stupid. It was a couple of years down the road. He switched to, like, Hollywood Records or something by then, but... Yeah, I, I I remember that. That was a cool thing too, man. Because he had the the comics stuff that came with that, and we had one that was packaged with the CD, a comic and a CD. So 
I don't know if that was a promo or not. It's so hard to keep track of that. Plus, we also back then used to carry, you know, Kerrang! and all the European metal magazines, too, which is a guy I couldn't afford to collect them, you know, collect that. So I would just read them while I was on the clock, you know. Sorry, Dan Birch. I was reading magazines on the clock. But, um, <laughs> but I would read all that stuff front to back. That's how I found, like, the Wild Hearts and stuff. That's how I'd find those bands. You know, you flip through Kerrang! and, and uh, all the other you know, foreign metal magazines and stuff that you couldn't, you know, that none of those, half those bands never got American record deals. If they did, they were really so far down the totem pole that you never heard about them. So yeah, it was, I benefited greatly. Well, my wallet didn't benefit greatly from co-op, but my record collection did for sure. Another thing in the past that like, I guess I was too young for, but uh, did you ever participate in any of those in stores or were you around for those? Oh yeah, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, we did when I worked at. Well, we did a couple at my store, like uh, Hailstorm, and um, these were more recent. Hailstorm did one, and Five Finger Death Punch, your favorite band, did one. Um, <laughs> and and what was that other band? No one from Chicago. They did one at the at the first location, second location. Um, but when I worked at, in Peoria, we did Typo Negative, uh, Cry of Love did one, Enough's Enough did one, um, Flip. They were awesome, man. They actually set up and played in the store, full electric. It was badass. Um, I'm trying to think who else. We had several at that. Campus Town, we did several different ones. I can't – those are the big ones off the top of my head I can think of. But, yeah, was, whenever those were possible, man, um, we, we we tried to organize one. It was usually tough, man, because you remember Peoria, I don't know what it's like now. I don't, I don't keep up with the – the live music team there unless we're passing through ourselves but um i don't know about as far as when they bring nationals in and stuff but there were no real we didn't have a mid-level club back then other than the madison and then we were tied in with that courtesy of jay goldberg he was always really good to us and so any of those bands that you know brother kane or something like that we were always really always kind of part of that that circle so if it could ever be made to happen it, we bob would always pull strings and, and get get the artist to come. Usually we do it at Campus Town because it was bigger. Every once in a while, Evergreen Square would, would host one. Like I said, I think I met Enough's Enough there on the Strength Tour. But those things were great, man. I mean, they were always, the artists were generally really cool. Typo Negative were the only ones where they were clearly having a bad day. They were, you know, Pete, you know, Pete Steele was nice. They were all okay. The guitar player was kind of a, a doink, but um, they just weren't getting along within the band that they were having a problem. So that one was kind of tense, but everybody else has always been super cool, man. Cry of love were great. Um, flip were, they were especially fantastic, man. My kid got up and played, uh, they gave him a drumstick and he played the hi hat during one song. <laughs> I think probably still have the drumsticks around here, but, um, yeah, it was, those were cool, man. I, I wish that we could still do stuff like that. It's tough at the location we're in now. Cause it's not that big. But uh, artists don't, they're just not, they don't happen as much anymore. The labels don't work with the artists quite the same way as they used to. So it's kind of on the artist and the management, I guess, now to make those kind of appearances happen. And it's just not what it used to be. You know, there's just not, I don't think the staff at the labels, whoever was in charge of that kind of stuff, I don't even know if it exists anymore. It's strange. Yeah, because I don't even know how that works out really, but like, uh, the ex when I worked for them sometimes they would do I guess something like that where it was like a meet and greet but it almost seemed like yeah. there was some kind of promotion like tied into that or something so well in, was, the, in the larger markets I mean and you got a, if you're in a major market thing like I mean a few years back um, Joanna and I my girlfriend we went to uh, Las Vegas and a, a friend of ours uh, John Marshall who used to work for the stations back there um, he was Whitey on 95.5 what they called him Whitey Marshall yeah. Um, he uh, he hooked us up. They had a Queens of the Stone Age acoustic uh, in studio performance. Then he hooked us up for that. So in the bigger markets, they still do that kind of you know, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies kind of thing. And but it used to be the you know the labels would kind of facilitate all that. Somebody from the label would at least. And now it's so weird. It just isn't. You know, just the the way records are built up anymore. It, it's not it's just not the same man it's just it's really and I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys oh, I miss the old days 
you know, I do. There's a lot of things about that time that I, I, I think were, were better, but um, it's just the machine is different, you know, and the way they promote stuff is different. And rock bands in general, man, a, a lot of bands are kind of left to fend for themselves, whereas back then there were people, you know, the labels were motivated because they were moving physical product and getting people to these in-stores meant they could send out, a, you know, the, the, the store was going to buy 200 copies of the whatever the latest thing was. And they're going to sell right there and they get a sound scan spike, you know, and now, you know, nobody cares about that side of things, the physical side of things. I mean, not nobody, but most people don't. So those people are just going to show up and get, you know, their jacket signed or a magazine cover signed or something or whatever, you know, it's not quite the, the guarantee of, Hey, we better order 500 copies of this because typo negative is going to be here next week and they're going to be signing them. It's, it, you know, that's, that's just gone, I guess, you know, I'm sure there's people that do have a new, you know, record come out and they, maybe a store would do something where they bring in, you know, 50 copies of it on vinyl or something. Cause that would be a cool thing to have, but not like it was back then, man. It was always when those things went down, just like a midnight sale, it was guaranteed. If it was a big release you better have at least a couple hundred copies of something, you know, that's just, <laughs> I might not order 50 copies of something for its entire run of a, of a big record anymore. It's just changed that much. Yeah. Cause like, um, I think you probably hit the nail on the head with that. Like thinking about it, like they don't make their money really from the sales um, anymore. So now they're charging for the meet and greet. So that's probably why they don't really do as many in stores because they can just charge for it at their show. Yeah. It's now they do the $5,000 after show package or whatever, which I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of split on that one. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I see why they, I get the motivation for it, obviously, because you've got expenses and it, I don't really understand the bigger bands that do it because they're already, you know, you talk about bands that are, you know, playing for a, quarter million dollar guarantee that they really need uh, to bilk, you know, 20 people out of an additional five grand a piece. I mean, that's more money, I guess, but some of that stuff's kind of distasteful in my opinion, you know, maybe it was initially put in place to ward off the eBay autograph seekers that just want to get stuff signed and then resold. I don't know, but it's turned into its own little industry. And I, I wonder now with this, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole, but with this coronavirus thing, I would imagine those things are probably not going to be happening for even when shows fire back up. I would imagine a lot of artists aren't going to want to be pressing the flesh quite as much. Yeah. Cause you know? that's what I was thinking too. Like even if concerts come back, like how they're saying sometimes like, um, or they're actually saying next year, like 2021, I think meet and greets are like out of the question. Cause even, uh, the last show that I went to, that Bisto Blanco show, like the, yeah, like everybody in the band was out and taking photos at um, the table. But then uh, Chuck uh, Garrick, he came out later, and Jim overheard him say something like, uh, "Don't let anybody behind the table." And he was doing like elbow bumps instead of fist bumps. Yeah, I had a friend ask me the other day if if I thought the handshake was dead, and I was like, oh, I I don't know. I mean, I'd be fine with it, but you know, I, I don't. There's, I don't really need, feel the need to, to grip anybody's hand uh, just randomly just to, so I can say I did, but you know, I don't have a problem with human contact either, but at a certain point, I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't, I guess cause I'm not in the, the high risk category or whatever, but if I was, you know, Mick Jagger and I'm definitely on the backside of the cycle, I don't want to be exposing myself to anything you know what i mean that so that a lot of these heritage artists and stuff that are up there and they're some you know some of these guys are out there touring in their 70s yeah like alice That's cooper different. he's like yeah exactly that, he, i would i wouldn't want to be you know taking a kiss on the cheek from somebody I mean, we, we were at nam show <clears throat> this is three years ago and i remember that we were there and a buddy of mine his girlfriend and a friend of hers asked nikki six if they could kiss him on the cheek and he declined like he was he was like, and these were attractive women. It wasn't like it was like some sweat hog wanting to go up and lick his face or something. They just wanted to get a picture, you know, pecking him on the cheek. And uh, he was not having it. And I thought, well, that's weird, man. This is a guy that, you know, makes his makes a point to talk about how crazy he was back in the day. Well, apparently, he's either his old lady's got a pretty good handle on him now, or um, 
or he's got some, you know, germ issues or something. I don't know, but it was just weird. It's like, man, that's well before all this stuff was going on. And now it's going to be this whole thing of, you know, I mean, you see it when you go to the grocery store. I mean, I, I do. I was just there and people, I had my mask on and everything doing my, my bit and, uh, tried to follow the six foot rule whenever possible. But when, you know, when some woman's got two cars and she's blocking the damn aisle, like it's, you know, a roadblock from escape from New York or some shit, I, you got to <laughs> find a way through and eventually you're going to have to brush up against something you're not supposed to touch. And I, you get these dirty looks and stuff. It's like, man, and you're, if you're going to charge somebody $5,000, you better be able to give them a hug or something, you know, otherwise give them their money back. <laughs> Cause I don't want to take a picture of you through a plexiglass shield with me. You know what I mean? For $5,000. And then I get my laminate or whatever it is. They, I don't know what bullshit they give you for those things, man. I, I just think they're kind of a, you know, I guess if you get like the Paul Stanley guitar or something, that, that's, you know, there's 1500 bucks right there. I'll, I'll let that one slide. But, these people charging you five grand to get a, you know, run you down an assembly line and get a picture. That's some bullshit, man. That's, that's, that's not, that ain't cool. That's, yeah. you're just ripping people off. Yeah. As Jim Glass would say, the uh, concert uh, trinkets, I think that was his term. Trinkets, Some, yeah. Sometimes you get like a goodie bag, but I've done it before and um, I'm not going to name any names because you'll give me shit, but. Uh, <laughs> I've done a couple because like you either get like invited to their sound check, which I think is like a fake sound check. They do a real sound check. Then they just kind of like, Hey, we're going to run through a couple songs for you, but I'll do it. If you get something like that, or you get like an acoustic uh, thing in advance before the show, I think that's kind of cool. You get extra songs that they might not do, which I think even a kiss for their huge package. I think they do like a mini little acoustic thing. They used to. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, Almost like the Kiss convention stuff. They would play songs that they don't play in their um, uh, main set, right? Yeah, that's my buddy Rob. That's one of his jobs with them. Is he does the uh, he runs the VIP tent, but they don't do the acoustic performances anymore on this tour. I don't think they cut that down. I, oh, maybe man. just to preserve their voices or whatever. But yeah, I mean that's I get. It. I mean, look if if one of my favorite bands is coming through, and you know, some of these bands, it's their last tour, too. So I get why people are wanting to, man, I'll never, I may never get a chance to meet Paul Stanley again kind of thing. I get it. You know, but if it was 100 bucks or something extra or, you know, something, I mean, $500. But when it's $5,000, like the Motley Crue one where it was like six grand or whatever, and you go, and Tommy's not even there because he thinks it's bullshit, too. So you got three members of Motley Crue. You're paying two grand a piece to meet these guys. I mean... I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> what do you What do you get? Like an autographed piece of shit bass or something? I don't know what they give you, but that's just not. I just don't. I don't know where the value is in that. I, and again, I'm a fan. It's not. It's not that I don't recognize fandom, and I get the. You know, as a musician too, I understand the. You know, there's there's a need for connection there and stuff, but you don't look. It used to be you had to hang out by the bus or backstage or whatever and try and meet these people or go to a in-store. I mean, we never charged people to go to those in-stores. The bands never charged. They didn't charge us either. We had to get them food. Like, I remember Typo Negative wanted some, they wanted some Subway and shit. It's all, it was always, nobody ever asked us for anything exorbitant. It was never like, you know, we need, you know, caviar back here or anything. It was, it was never anything like that. It was always you know, real low key. These guys are, they're a bunch of road dogs and stuff that were just trying to hype their records. But that, you know, charging people to come be part of a petting zoo is, I don't know, man. And there's gotta be, it should be a cap on that. It's just, I just feel like it's taking advantage of people, you know? Yeah. I mean, if it's me, I'm worth, I'm worth paying $5,000 to hang out with. I'm a good time, but some of these guys really aren't, you know, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Shit. When are we going to get the, um, the Denny Smith deluxe box set and stuff too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when when I have more than five paying customers, that's when I start looking at uh, up in my production. So far, it's, it's looking like maybe just a, a USB thumb drive with my face. I'm gonna I'm gonna personally etch it in there. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got five of them ready to go. <laughs> now, man, it, that's another thing too, man. Even that kind of stuff, the the deluxe editions and the box sets, you know, and I feel I'm almost ashamed to say this because it makes me sound like the biggest hypocrite, but um, I, I wasn't 
especially enamored with those Beatles reissues that came out, the White Album and the Abbey Road and the Sgt. Pepper's thing, because they did those, you know, um, George Martin's son did those remixes of them, and they did all the outtakes and bonus stuff, which, you know, I I was excited for them when they came out. I wasn't really happy about the remix thing. I just thought it'd be nice to hear him presented, you know, a little better, possibly better master of the of the records, but... I didn't buy a single one of those. I got them all off of my with my Apple Music subscription and just listened to them. And I, sometimes I feel guilty about that, but at the same time, man, it's like I just don't want to be bilked. I don't want to be ripped off on stuff like that. And, and I, when I was a kid, man, I would save up for that stuff. And now it's like, man, I don't know. I'll listen to it. Eh, I don't want to spend $80 on that or 60 bucks, whatever it is. I've gotten to be one of those people too, you know? So I feel like the, the back in the day, if a big box set came out, you might, we might sell a bunch of them. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you the last time or the last big box set item that we had at the store that was, a, uh, you know, Oh my God, we got to get 20 of these. We're going to go right through them. It's been many years since the box set is kind of a lost art too. They keep putting them out, but I don't know who's really buying them. I really don't. You had mentioned that Metallica one earlier, talking about uh, the uh, midnight release. Of that one, the live shit. That one, when yeah. I was a kid, like that was like the holy grail thing. Like I'd always see that in a co-op or in a Best Buy, and I'm like, <laughs> I have to get this. I have to save up the hundred dollars for that. But yeah. I, I don't think I ever did. And then by the time I got older, I was like, you know, uh, paying more bills and stuff. But uh, I came across, I think it was a few years ago at a Fye. They have a slimmer version that's just like the DVD uh, case size or something. Yeah, they repackaged it. Yeah. Yeah, so so it doesn't have the VHS tapes like that big box. It's like DVDs yep. and CDs, but uh, it's still cool to have. But I guess I always wanted that box. Well, I, I think I know where there is one. I think there's one sitting around. I think my brother's is sitting in a basement somewhere. If I see it, I'll grab it, and you can have it just because he doesn't ever pick his stuff up. But um, – <laughs> In fact, you know what? I might have one here somewhere. I will look. In this house, man, anything is possible. But, yeah, I mean, that was a big deal, dude. I mean, and the thing that was funny about that box is when it came out, like I said, they, you know, they shipped them on these, we had them on in these, like they were wrapped in these pallet-looking things, and so many of them were smashed because they weren't really super sturdy, you know, yeah. and they weren't stacked exactly right. So they were, you know, if you got like an odd number, and it, so they had to slide some off of the skid or whatever. And there, so there's a, you know, anything was not quite balanced the way it was. And it was the master pack was done. You get these ones that were just jacked. It's like, man, I can't charge somebody a hundred dollars for that. It looks like, you know, fucking boss hog sat on it. So it was, <laughs> it was really a pain in the ass. And then people would bring it back and go, Hey man, the corner of this one's bent. And you'd look at it, you'd have to get a damn magnifying glass out to see what they're talking about. It's like, man, some guy bought one earlier that, Looked like it had been through the ringer, but you know people would bitch because they spent so much money on it. It wasn't; those things looked really cool from a distance, but after you had them for a while, if you didn't take really good care of them, they were like a converse box. They just started to cave in on themselves. Like the corners would get bad, and you know that's box. That's a tough thing to to do correctly. I've seen some really. I've got a couple really cool ones, but some of those were so poorly designed they just weren't meant to stand the test of time. Yeah, I've got one that I've been super gentle with. I got it because I used to go like religiously to the East Peoria Co-op. Like I never went to the Evergreen or even the Campstown one, but yeah, um, I guess mine was East Peoria one. And um, this was when I was in um, high school. I got the Allison Chains Music Bank one, and it's got a little door on the front, but there's really yeah. no uh, handle. So I got it kind of like I kind of slightly let the cds kind of push the door open and then i kind of once it opens up a jar like i kind of pull it back with my finger but that's one that i could see getting damaged really easily because there's really no hand yeah they for some reason i, I remember that one too that because it you know the one that was built really well was the the uh smashing pumpkins one it was like an old 45 oh like, the aeroplane flies high yeah, yeah 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 that that one was done really well they did a really good job on that with the the one we had the most trouble with besides the Metallica one, I remember for whatever reason, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, the SRV box, it was like three or four CDs, four I think, and it just opened up, it was a two-fold, you know, opened up there with a booklet, 
And for whatever reason, that when they manufactured those, we had so many of them where they had, when they pressed the CDs into the trays, you couldn't get the CD back out of the damn tray. It, like the, the little spindle in the middle was too tight or something, it was too big. So people were constantly coming in and like, I want to say it was like disc two or three were cracked because they had tried to pry them out of there. And there was something about that box set. There was a whole run of those that were messed up. So every once in a while you just get one that was just, you know, and that was a hot seller too. That was a big, at the time, it was a big deal when that came out. I, now I don't even know. I mean, the last thing I bought was a box set besides that Backyard Babies one that came out a couple of years ago. Like, I've been buying all the Springsteen ones when they come out, the reissue things, like Darkness on the Edge of Town, and those are all done really well. Like there's the one that's, the Darkness one's like a spiral-bound, when you slide it out, I think it's, it's like an old spiral-bound notebook. But, you know, for the most part, man, that stuff's just kind of like a, that particular, you know, product line as a, as a, as a profit making item is, seems like it's kind of dead, man. I don't, I can't think of anything that's come out and I could be wrong. I'm so out of the loop. It seems like that maybe I'm totally talking out my ass, but I can't think of the last really great besides those I just mentioned really great box that I bought. I did buy that Beatles thing with all the albums remastered and stuff, but that's just cause I'm a sucker. The last good box set I can think of, it isn't um, a CD box set, it's a DVD box set, and I wanted it so bad, but it was Breaking Bad. They came out with a barrel for uh, the DVDs. Oh, really? Yeah. I think even I Seinfeld had that. a fridge or something. Yeah, so that kind of stuff is, I think that the novelty stuff like that is cool. And I don't, I, think I get, you know, some of those would be cool. To, like they had the Planet of the Apes one where it was the head, it was, it was uh, Cornelius's head. And the DVDs were inside it. It was a big fuzzy ape head. Oh yeah, that kind of stuff. That those are actually badass, and I, I, those I can appreciate. But man, that's another thing too, man. DVDs and Blu-rays. That's or I guess just you know DVDs are pretty much dead now. But that that kind of thing too, man. That's like I've accumulated so much stuff, and I, I can't tell you. Well, actually, not true. I did go buy the and don't make fun of me. I did go buy the um, Rise of Skywalker Blu-ray when it came out, but um. You know, I don't, I hardly ever buy that stuff anymore either. I just don't even know. I feel like an asshole owning a record store. And I'm asked to buy records. So I guess, you know, that thing. And I buy t shirts and stuff still. But I mean, I don't hardly ever buy, I can't tell you the last time I bought a, a new CD. Um, and it's, it's just weird, man. It's, just the, it's the weird how the, even for a guy my age and stuff, I'm 48, and the, just that shift. You know, at a certain point, man, it's just, we've all just been, you know, conditioned to go this way with it. And luckily some people will bounce back with the record thing and, and they're, they're making a, you know, they're finding a way to make money off of that, I guess. Cause that's, you know, obviously heated back up, but you know, these last few weeks with the, with the shop being closed and everything, it's, you know, I've had a couple people reach out and say, hey, you know, I heard the Jason Isbell records coming out a week early to independent record stores. I'm like, yeah, that, that's actually true, but we can't open to receive it. You know, we can't be there to get a package. So and I can't, you know, at the time we weren't even allowed to let people do curbside or whatever, you know. So and I haven't seen anybody like really lose their shit over the fact that they can't get their hands on this stuff. You know what I mean? It's just so different than, you know, 15 years ago, if I told, hey, sorry, man. You're, we're not going to be able to get the new Limp Biscuit in this week. People would have burned my store down. They would have lost their shit. Yeah. You know? If we weren't going to have that midnight sale, that was the end of the world. It's just just really different now. This, these are just different days, and you know the the emphasis on the piece of physical product itself is so it's just so different now. And it's you know sign of the times, man. We got to we got to change. It's just the way the world works, but. It's still kind of a bummer, a little bit of a bummer, you know. Uh, what you're saying too is like, a, at least for me, like record stores more than just going in and shopping and leaving. It's like when Dustin was there, like I ended up becoming friends with him, and then even like going to Shandy's, like I became friends with Bob. So it's it's not just like going to like yes. a big box store. You kind of make a like a friendship or like a relationship with people in there. No, it becomes your, you know, I, there's a handful of places like that that, you know, that I like to go to. It's a, for the same, very same reason, man. You 
you get people whose opinion you you value and uh, that can turn you on to stuff. It's kind of, that's their job, you know. At least it used to be, you know. That's that's part of the thing, man. Plus, like you know, there's the, if the store is there long enough, man. It develops its own little mojo, and it's got there's there's some history in the walls and stuff. And there's a, there's a something to that too. And there's I, that's why I, I love going to Shandy's. You know, I, I'm still it's it's such a drag that that explosion happened out there you know but um man if it wasn't for the fact that that damn cat was in there and my allergies would flare up i'd stay in there all damn day looking at stuff you know because there you could never you just wouldn't run out of any there's there's so much stuff in there you know you could lose yourself in there for five hours so those i mean if you i don't know if you've ever been to amoeba in, in hollywood it's the same way man there's just so much stuff you know when you get these those big stores like that that's why i loved when we had the wendy's building because i could have packed that thing to the gills and we would never run out of space there was so much square footage we don't have that as much now that's why our back room is so overflowing with crap that needs to be out on the floor but um you know i love those kind of shops man because i'm you know i'm not even i don't i go to record stores and i'm not even looking for anything i just want to you know i just want to stumble on something you know, I buy, I'll buy dumb shit just because, oh, man, the guy from Monster Magnet was in this 10 years before he was in Monster Magnet. It might suck, but I've never seen it before, so I want to have it, that kind of stuff, you know. But you don't you don't get that when you call ahead and say, hey, man, what weird stuff do you have? Can I pick it up on the – can you come out and meet me on the sidewalk, you know? So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Hopefully. the Wendy's store, was that the one that's more closer to, like, the street by the uh, McDonald's now, I guess? Cause that's... Yeah, it's right next to McDonald's. Yeah, out in the same parking lot that we're in now, but it was twice the size. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it was a utility nightmare. The roof leaked, and it, the building needed some serious repair, which obviously has been, I'm assuming, has been done by the people that are in there now, but I couldn't have water dripping in on records and stuff and when they offered us the the strip mall spot i was like yeah we can do that we can make that work yeah because i kind of remember going in there a few times it looked like you even had a little stage in the back or it was raised up and i think there was stuff yeah i built there. that i had that built specifically for in stores uh, that was why that was put in there so if we wanted to do uh live performances in there um it, we'd have a spot to do it it was big enough to stage a at least an acoustic performance maybe electric so that was not an accident. Um, oh, okay. that whole cool. store, I, I had a whole model built. You know, I built a whole model of how the store was going to be laid out and to scale, and that was part of it. So, yeah. Although, if we had kept the damn drive through window and we're still in it, we'd be set. Yeah, shit, man. You guys could have done your curbside right there. We blew it. We totally blew it. <laughs> Somebody rolls up and asks if you got any weird shit. <laughs> hey, I worked at uh, one of the shops I worked at down here. Cats. Um, it's j- just down the street from my house now. They're not. They're not at the chains not around anymore. They closed. But um, we had a drive up window. Yeah, I don't know what the place used to be before it was Cats, but we had a drive up. It's now it's a vape store. But I would sell. I had to sell lottery tickets out that window and occasionally CDs and stuff. People come up and ask me, and I'd have to go pull it and bring it up. <laughs> We'd ring them up and do them out the window. So yeah, it could be done. That's the only drive-up record store I've ever worked at, though. I don't want to keep it too long, man, but this was awesome. Hearing about the old like box sets and the in-stores and stuff. Well, I'm not sure how informative it was, but uh, yeah, you know, it's always fun to talk about, man. I, I'm, I really do miss you know, those those days were, were really cool, and it was great. You know, now it's, everything's all about vinyl, which is great. You know, I, I, I prefer that's my preferred medium as well, but. Um, you know, back then it was just people were more invested in getting their hands on the stuff. You know, they wanted the stuff. It wasn't just now. And now it's just like kind of, I just feel like people, it's, everything's just kind of constantly in this weird transition where it's like, yeah, stuff's forgotten about really quickly. And, you know, I don't even think fandom is what it used to be. Like in terms of like, you know, brand loyalty or band loyalty, whatever you want to call it. I hate the term brand, but you know, people, I don't know, and they, like they just don't invest in the, which maybe it's always been that way, and I'm just, you know, reminiscent, I don't know, but um, it just seems like the people just don't value the stuff the same way, and they don't, 
they don't foster those, you know, that fandom the same way as they used to. Everything just kind of, yeah. Well, yeah, I saw that was coming out. Cool. I really missed standing at the counter and talking. You know, it just be straight up arguing with people about certain stuff, certain bands, and you know, it's a. I mean, I, I there's a lot down here. There are some places. You know, we've got Grimies and Great Escape and stuff. Great Escape's more comic-y and not just music, but you know, Grimies is a full-on true record shop, man. And they they do that. They really, you know, they they are really invested, and that's why the you know the places held in such high regard but they're not what they, they're not as many as there used to be for sure see you know, that's a lot what, of and then, and then, that's what you need because taylor swift she saved grimies and is paying their salary you just need to find your uh taylor swift like or something yeah like. yeah i guess I, I don't know um i was really hoping brent was gonna do it since he's such a tay tay fan you know i thought maybe he would get in there and, and help us out but now so i, I think what i'm gonna do since he didn't help us out is I'm going to turn him over to Taylor Swift for making those t-shirts with the pentagram on her forehead. Oh shit. shit. I'm going to see if I can get a, a legal smackdown put on him. You know, we don't need a benefactor. We'll be good. Uh, the store's store's fine. And, and, uh, you know, Grimey's has a massive staff and that's a great thing that she did for them too. Um, that, that's really went above and beyond probably a drop of the bucket for her, but nonetheless still really cool. All right, man. Well, look, I'm going to hop off here. I hope uh, I hope I gave you something that you can use. Oh, yeah, you did. I thought it was cool. Okay, cool. So hopefully I was kind of engaging, I guess. I don't know. No, man, no, it's it's cool to get anybody asked about the shop. Man, it's always cool to talk about the shop. It's it's sad that it's we're talking about it now and there's really nothing going on there because, you know, because the way things are. But, uh, you know, it's it's any chance to talk about it, it's always you know I, I, I like being able to do that especially going back to the history of it because a lot of people don't realize we've been there that long you know so yeah it's cool you did good um i didn't even realize it totally either like i knew you had been in co-op um in pekin for a while but i didn't realize it until recently i saw somewhere yeah it said like um 98 and i was like oh shit that's like 22 years yeah yeah April, April, I think May or April '98, we opened up. So yeah, I mean, I, and I worked at the Peoria stores in like '95 or something. '90, yeah, '95 or '97. I mean, all the you know those for two, three years up to that. So yeah, it's a long fucking time, man. God, I'm old, but yeah, it's yeah, I, it's cool. It's good to talk about it, though, man. There's a lot of uh, I had to I, when you asked about stories i was like i saw that stuff I'm like if i don't want to know if i should tell this story because what if one of these people hears it <laughs> it still shops there because there's a couple things that have happened like idiot customer things where they're great stories but i'm a i don't think i should tell them on a you know public broadcast type environment because <laughs> those people might still be shopping in the, in the store i'd like to keep them that way so but yeah yeah it's uh it's good it's fun you can text me some of those I'll tell them to you in person. I'll, I'll, I'm making some mental notes now. There's a couple that almost almost came out, and I think ah, I want to. I'll, I'll save them for later. They're, sometimes they need visual aids too to fully appreciate them. So hard to do over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me, man. No, nah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's cool. Hopefully, we'll have you for a third time on A sides. Yeah, I'll I'll do an in person one with you guys sometime. Yeah, that was fun. Next time I'm up there, if you guys have something going on that I could possibly jump in on, I will. I'll uh, or that docking tribute um, dedicated to Jim Glass. All docking episode, man. I would have, I would have done that. You should get Jim Glass actually come in and sit there while it's happening. I think that'd be the best part of it. Let's just listen, just so you could hear him quietly seething in the corner (laughs) while the interview is taking place. (laughs) Get some Jim Glass sound bites in there. That would be awesome. Well, keep me posted, man. Let me know when this thing goes live, and I'll uh, when you get all chopped up and stuff, and I'll I will do my best to promote it. Well, to, thank to you, my five peeps. Uh, thank you, thank you again. All right, man. I'll talk to you later on. Well, thanks to Denny Smith for talking to me tonight. Thanks to you for listening and coming back week after week. 
Brent and I will be back next week. We're going to be recapping albums from the first part of May. I believe American Aquarium, Butch Walker, and the new Jason Isbell are albums we will be talking about. So that's what we got on deck next time on A-Sides.